Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We're continuing with Aftor. With Hashem's help, we're going to finish the 10th chapter in the Dunham, and we're going to start the 11th and final chapter in Chakra in the Dunham. We left off on 78b, the second line from the bottom. The question asked on the ruling that we learned yesterday of, of Rabbi Hanin said, when do we say that the silence of a husband is an affirmation if it's only a regular silence? If he's just silent to make him nervous and he intends to eventually nullify it, then even 10 days later he can... The t- reason the Torah says they only have to the end of the day, because if you're silent that day, we assume that you're aff- affirming it, and that's your intent. And therefore, once you affirm it, it's done. It's already firm. It can no longer be revoked. But if the only purpose, the intent of the silence is giving it a silent treatment to drive her crazy, but your intent is to, to, to nullify it, and even 10 days later. So Chizda asked on, on this ruling... We learned, we learned, there's a stringency we find with affirmation over revoking. There's a stringency we find over, uh, over by, by revoking over confirming. The stringency we find by confirming, we continue on 79. Silence is enough to affirm, but silence is not enough to revoke. Which is the, almost the root of the problem. In other words, even, even if you can tell from the silence that he's indicating he's the silent treatment, it's not he's silent, not saying a word, when the husband is silent, watch out, <laughs> doesn't matter, it's not called a revo- until you explicitly revoke, it's not considered revoke. Uh, versus affirming, even if you're silent, is considered a, considered affirmation. Not only that, if you confirm in your heart, it's confirmed. If he says in your heart, silently, you don't move your lips, you just say to yourself, I'm confirming the vow, it's immediately confirmed, he doesn't have to say anything. This from because the Titus says you wait to the end of the day. Why do you have to wait to the end of the day? Because if the husband is silent to the end of the day, that means he accepts. So you see, the Titus telling us that his silence is enough. You don't need any verbal declaration to affirm it. His silence, so the moment he thinks in his heart, I affirm it, it's done. It's done, and that's it. It can no longer be revoked. But hey, for believing in move, if silently you say to yourself quietly without moving your lips that I'm revoking it, it's not revoked. It's not revoked, and the, and the vow still stands. The day that he knows, from the day that the day that he finds out, he has to the end of the day. It could be a year later. Yeah. Now, if one confirmed the vow, you can no longer revoke it. But there's something they both share. Kayim, once you affirm it in Yahalahafra, you can no longer revoke it. Hafra, once you revoke it, in Yahalahafra. 
Once you revoke it, you can no longer confirm it. Okay, so far the Bryce only told us that they both have in common once you affirm, you can no longer revoke. Once you revoke, you can no longer confirm. What's the stringency that we find in affirmation? Affirming, even if you're silent, it's an affirmation, versus revoking must be explicitly. Or even if you say in your heart, you're affirming, it's an affirmation. But if you say in your heart, it's revoking, it's nothing. That's the stringency. He didn't, he didn't yet explain where's the stringency of revoking over affirming. We just learned the stringency of affirming over revoking. That's the stringency of affirming. In general, Dvarim should believe in Dvarim. Words in your heart don't mean anything. But here, the Taita says you don't need it. Just the silence of speaking in your heart is enough. What do we see from this Brai? So, what's the question of Abachanina? Tani, we learn, he says clearly that silence is an affirmation. My lab is Shaytik, I'm not going to make it. Surely it means a silence. Where even if it indicates that he wants to eventually revoke it, he's just giving it a silent treatment. He's not happy. The silence itself indicates that he's not happy with what she did. He doesn't say, "Oh, wonderful, honey, that's great." He gives her the silent treatment. Nevertheless, we say that the act, since he was silent, it's an affirmation. Not like Rabbi Hanina says that if you're silent and it's clear that he's doing it out of he's angry at his wife, then he can revoke it even ten days later. So it's clear, clear, clear contradiction. Nabuchanina said, can't argue with Nabuchanina. Nabuchanina said, not. Nabuchanina said, that's only a regular silence. But if it's a silence which indicates that he's angry at his wife, and he's not silent because he's affirming it. In his heart, he's angry. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to affirm it. Then, then even 10 days later, he can revoke. That's Rabbi Hanina's statement. We learned yesterday. says, no, I'll tell you. The Bryce is talking about silence. He's just silent. He didn't get around to verbally confirming it, but he intended to confirm it. Then why does he have to repeat it? He already said. That means he's affirming it in his heart. He's saying two, two, separate, uh, two separate instances. One instance where he's silent, another instance where he affirms it in his heart. If you tell him it's a type of silence that he's confirming in his heart, he just didn't get around to verbalize it. It's the same thing. What answers? No, this is two instances. One is he didn't decide, he's just silent. He didn't respond. No reaction. I'm not at four, I'm not against. I'm playing neutral. I didn't decide yet. I listened. That's, I heard what you said. It didn't register yet. I have no response yet. I didn't formulate a response yet. I like it. I don't like it. I'm a critic. I'm a critical. I'm, a, I'm happy. Nevertheless, that's an, that's an affirmation. But if it's clear in his heart that he's not happy and he's angry and he's just giving it a silent treatment, he wants to make her nervous and upset, then Nebuchadnezzar is correct. And then it stops the clock and I can even, I can even do it um, ten days later. He can revoke. Okay, now the Gemara goes back to the Brais. The Brais explains the stringency of affirmation over confirmation over revoking, revocation. Where do we see that there's a stringency in revoking over confirmation? Where do we see that? In what respect? The answer is Nishal in Allah Hakim and Nishal Allah Hafir. 
if you confirm, you can nullify the confirmation. But you can't nullify the revocation. Once you revoke it, it's too late. If a husband, once the father of the husband revokes a vow, he can't go back. He can't turn back the clock. He can't nullify, retroactively nullify the revocation. And now I'm going to affirm it. No, no, no. Once it's revoked, it's smashed. It's gone. The nether is smashed. The smithereens. There's nothing left. He can't re- reconstitute it. He can't rebuild it. But if you affirm it, like any other vow, so I can, I can, I can retro, I, I can retroactively release my confirmation. So the nether remains, and now I can revoke it. Right. You broke the plate. There's no going back. Exactly. That's the idea of breaking. Once you break it. Once you smash something, you can't rebuild it. Affirming, I can go back. One fool could destroy what a thousand people has built. Thirty years, that's the stringency of, of revoking over affirming. Master of Khan, of Khan, is also questioning about Hanina's rule. We learned the Brais, Rimhach, Rishiach, Rishlo Isha. If her husband should be silent, and that day all of her vows are confirmed, it says clearly in the Baraisa. Even if he's silent, and he, indi- and he indicates with his silence, giving her the silent treatment, he wants to make her upset. Not that he's happy or he hasn't decided yet. No, he's clearly unhappy. Nevertheless, since he's silent, the vow is, a, is confirmed. How do I know that? Maybe you're saying the verse means even if he's silent and the silence indicates confirmation, nevertheless, I'm, I'm sorry, there, there's the, you plan to revoke it. Nevertheless, the, 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 uh, the vow is affirmed. Maybe the Torah is only speaking about it. Stop if you're quiet. Maybe I'm not Or even if you want, even stam. When he says ki when he says ki that he was, he was, he will confirm that he was silent. He already said hechrishlo, so that means he's silent. In order, even if he had intent to affirm it, but he was silent, or he confirmed it in his heart. And Nevertheless, and therefore the Torah says he, it's confirmed. Since he's silent, and his silence indicates that he plans to confirm it, then it's confirmed. So why does the Torah have to add im again? So he's coming to teach us. Even if he's silent, and the silence itself indicates that he wants to revoke it, nevertheless, since he didn't say it explicitly, words from the heart don't count, and therefore the vow is confirmed to you. That's a clear refutation of Achanina's ruling. The mother asked in the Braisa, how do you know this? The I can still explain the buzzy. It's not it's not compelling argument. I can say the first time Hechrishla means if you're silent, meaning you intend to affirm it, confirm it, but you didn't get around to say it, you just in your heart. So then it's confirmed. But then the Torah adds that even if you're silent, I didn't decide. I'm at four, I'm at against, I'm, I'm it's registering, I'm listening, I didn't yet get around. Even that's also a confirmation. 
But how do I know if the silence indicates that my intent is to revoke it, that even that silence is the government? There's no proof in the passage. But it says, Because there's many, many extra verses. Many times, three times it says you're quiet. So therefore, it comes to teach me any type of silence. A silence where in your heart you confirm it. A silence where I didn't make a decision. Even a silence where the silence itself, my intent is to make her upset, but I intend to revoke it. Even that silence doesn't count. It's a confirmation. I guess that, that's the halach. Any type of silence. Robert challenged Rabbi Hanina from our mission. All the challenges are from the Braise. He's challenging our mission. It says now mission another she made a vow. The beginning of when it turned dark, the beginning of the twenty four hour day, Friday night. No, I'm sorry, Imcha Sheikha, right before nightfall. At the end of Shabbos, right before nightfall, Mayfa Lodge Lechosh. So you only have till nightfall to revoke it. That's why the mission says even a vow that's not associated with Shabbos won't affect Shabbos. Because it's the end of Shabbos. How could it affect Shabbos? It's not like the end of Shabbos. Nothing. I'm not going to dress up in jewelry. I mean, it's the end of Shabbos. It's, I'm not going to eat or drink. You already ate all your meals already. But never, so that's what we, we give him permission to revoke it. Because if not now, never. It's either now or never. Once it turns dark, he no longer has the ability to revoke. Is he at 24 hours or just has... No, no, no. The halach is, he only has till the night. There is an opinion 24 hours. The halach is only till the night. We go, Amai, why? I'm not still making it. According to Rabbi Hanina, what's the rush? Why do we say you have no choice? You have to let him, since you only have till night. No, there is a scenario where you have even past night time. He says, if you're silent, but the silent indicates that really you intend to revoke it, then even 10 days later I can revoke it. So what's the rush? Since it's not associated with Shabbos, it's the end of Shabbos, whatever vow she made has nothing to do with Shabbos. I'm not allowed to revoke a vow in Shabbos unless, unless there's no choice. Here there is a choice. Because I'm silent only because I have no choice. Really, I want to revoke it. And therefore, I could revoke it even after Shabbos. So why are you allowing him to revoke the, the vow in Shabbos? That's another good question. Rav is completely refuted. Masar Ravashi. challenged from another Mishnah. He challenged Rav Hanina's ruling. We learn, we're going to learn later on in the next track, in the next chapter. The Mishnah says, husband says, I know that there are Nadar. I know that a person can make a vow. I didn't know that I can revoke it. He didn't know that he had the power. In other words, the Torah says, the day that you know. What if he knew that she made a vow, but he didn't know that he had the power to revoke it? That's why he didn't say anything. So then the, the, the day that he finds out, he can revoke her vows. The day, meaning, the day that you find out about the vow, the day that she made the vow, if you don't know when the day she made, when the day that you find out the vow, but you also have to know that you have the ability. If you didn't know, I wasn't, my silence isn't because I affirmed it, I just didn't know I even had the power to revoke it. <coughs> but what if he says, and there's another, if he knew, he says, I knew that I can revoke her vows. I didn't know that this is a vow. I didn't know this is considered a vow. What she said is considered a vow. He knew that he has the power, but he didn't think that what she said was, was 
Or he didn't think that, that this that type... or Yeah, that this was the category that he's empowered to revoke. Because not every vow he could revoke. Only a vow that affects him, affects the marriage. He's not, it doesn't belong to him. But anything affecting the marriage, he has the power to, 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 to revoke. Things that don't affect him, he has no powers. He thought this is one of the vows that, that, that he doesn't have the power to revoke. He cannot revoke the vows. Because he, he was, since he knew about his right to revoke, so the fact that he didn't, the fact that he was quiet, he thought that, that's, his, that's on him. And the rabbi said, no, he could revoke. Because he didn't know, he didn't know that this was a vow that he could revoke. So it's not considered the day that he heard the vow. But my question is why Why according to that mayor is a confirmation? Yes, he's silent. But his silence is really he wanted to revoke the vow. He just thought that he doesn't have the power to revoke the vow. But his intent was if he had the power, he would revoke it. That's what he's saying. Later on when he finds out the proof is once he finds out that it, it is in the category that he could revoke, he comes yelling, I want to revoke it. So clearly his silence was only because he didn't know. But his intent to silence is not a confirmation. And it's not even neutral. I definitely want to revoke it. I didn't think I had the power to. So why does a mayor say, according to Rabbi Hanina, why does a mayor say you can't revoke it too late? The day passed. What do you mean? Even 10 days later you could revoke it. Rabbi Hanina is completely refuted. We finished Hashem's help, the 10th chapter, and now with Hashem's help, we begin the 11th and final chapter in Tractat Nadar. We're going to go back to Naira Muras. Okay, we start a new chapter. These are the vows that the husband has the power to revoke or father. Not every vow, only certain vows. Things that involve self affliction. For example, I'm not going to take a shower. I will base, I won't base, I'm going to adorn myself, I'm going to wear jewelry and makeup, I'm not going to wear. So she, she's afflicting herself. Exactly was the vow, because it says, I will bathe, I won't bathe. What's the vow? I will put on makeup on my face or not. Um, Rabbi Yesi, we continue on side B seventy nine B. Rabbi Yesi, Rabbi Yesi, the mission continues. Rabbi Yesi says, "In Elul, Nidrinu Nefesh." No, these are not in the category of self affliction. Your mother will explain what Rabbi Yesi's opinion is. You want to know what Nidrinu Nefesh is? Amr, she says, "Kainim Pedes Elul Malai." She says, "I'm never going to eat any fruits." That could be revoked. Pedes Medina is all lie, but if she says. I'm not going to eat the fruits of this country, of this uh, state. So that, that, that's so fine. She, the vow could remain, could stand. He has to bring her fruits from, from another country. It's not considered self-affliction. And therefore you can't revoke it. If he says, she says, is I can't buy fruits from this store. And Let him buy from another, from another store. But if the only source for the provision with that storekeeper, in other words, he's the only one who gives him credit, 
he's only one who gives him the time of the husband time of the day. In that case, it is a yafra because he doesn't have an option of going to a different store. It's the only one he can deal with. So if she's if she made a vow. She's not going to eat fruits from the store. He can't provide her with anything. So then, that's that is a yafra. Different Rabbi Yosi. This opinion of Rabbi Yosi. Why does he have to repeat it again? He said Rabbi Yosi. Okay, the Gemara will explain. So when he said in the beginning, she said, I'm not going to eat fruits from a certain country. She's talking about imported fruits. I'm not going to eat fruits that are imported from, 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 from California. But if you're in New York, say, I'm not eating any fruits from New York. That's the same case as the case, I'm not eating fruits in this store. But then the husband can get from a different store. How can I get from a different store? I'm living here. If I can't buy fruits that are local, I have to import it's the same equivalent of a husband who only has credit in the store, right, right, and, then, right. and, then, and then he has the power to revoke the vow. He's talking about a mother and eat fruits that are imported from the, another country. So they're fine, so, so get her fruits that are imported from a different country. It's not a reason to revoke a vow. <laughs> only if she says, I'm not going to eat any fruits. Okay. That's the mission. You're saying that the father and the husband could only revoke vows that are affliction, but other vows he can't. Vows that are between husband and wife, even if father and his daughter. He could only revoke vows that affect his marriage, his relationship. If she wants to impose a reflection on herself, what's the husband's business? Mm-hmm. Who says the husband has a right? The Torah says clearly only vows that affect the relationship. Right. So your mother answers, Amri, Halev, Halev, Mefer. Both. There's two, two categories of vows. There's categories that she's afflicts on herself, affliction. And then there are categories that affect the marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. Vows that are self-affliction you can revoke forever. But if they don't involve self-affliction but only relate to the affect their relationship, as long as she's married, is 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 revocation is valid. But as soon as he divorces her. When he dies, then the, the, the vow kicks in. In other words, if it's an Indian nefesh, then the vow is over. You smash the vow and it's over. But if it's a vow that affects, if it's a vow that affects the marriage, so as long as it affects the marriage, as long as there is a marriage, there's a relationship, then the vow, but the moment the marriage is over, then the vow kicks in. That's the distinction. It says, spells out, in a nefesh, he means, he spells, because then these vows are revoked forever. It doesn't matter what happens to the relationship later. The vow is over. <laughs> For example, when he said, he doesn't refuses to do makeup or application of makeup, it's referring to the face. That's a question of eating nefesh. She's afflicting herself. She doesn't look like a regular woman. A regular woman takes care of herself, puts on makeup, and appears beautiful. She's, she, she took a vow of chastity, whatever, she's not. But a vow, what she does in her private areas, that the public doesn't see, that's not an affliction for the public, but, that's, but that is a matter between the husband and wife. So he can revoke that vow. 
as long as they're married. But at the phase, if he refuses to put a makeup, he provokes the vow, and then the vow no longer applies forever, even when the relationship is over. Things that are not that are not afflictions, but only affect the marriage and relationship, only applies as long as as long as they're married. There's a relationship. How can you say that? But none. We learn. We learned in the Mishnah. We're going to learn later on in the, in the, in the later on in the tractate. says, Yafir. Says in the he should revoke the net. There, No, he should revoke. Maybe he'll divorce her. She will be forbidden to return to him. The Mishnah discusses a woman says her handiwork, her hands are prohibited to her husband. The husband can't benefit from a handiwork. So the, so the rabbis say, the Tanakhama says, the husband doesn't have to revoke the nether because he owns a right. He has no right to make, a, to make a vow. It overrides. She's already committed to him. It belongs to him. So he has, she, can't, she can't make it prohibited. But, but uh, Rabbi Yechon Ben-Nuri says, no, he should revoke it. Why? Because maybe then he'll divorce her. Then she'll be on her own. And then her hands will become prohibited to her. It will take effect. And then he can, can't remarry her. Because, because if he remarries her, maybe he's going to benefit from the handiwork of her hand. She can't cook for her. She can't do anything for him. Because once it's, 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 it's prohibited, it becomes prohibited. So what do we see? So we see once he divorces, that's what he's saying, he's advising. If he doesn't revoke the vow, so the vow never takes place because it can't take place. But the moment he divorces, it kicks in. So he's giving advice. He says, let, her, let, the divorce, uh, uh, let the husband revoke it. So well, how does that help? Because he's saying, once he revokes it, and even if he divorces her, it remains revoked, and he has the option of remarrying her. Mm-hmm. So you see, clearly, not what the mother just said, mm-hmm. that even things that affect, it's not affliction, it only affects the husband. He's saying, my hands are prohibited just to my husband. It's only between, it only affects the marriage, the relationship. And when the husband revokes it, it remains revoked, even when the relationship is terminated. Mm-hmm. Not like we just said. So there is no distinction between affliction, vows of affliction that afflict her personally or vows that affect the marriage. So why does the Mishnah only say that, that, the only, that the, you can revoke uh, vows that, are, that are affliction, afflict her? Why doesn't he say you can also revoke vows that affect the marriage? So, I mean, they said, they answered, Really, both vows. It's a valid revocation. The difference is, and neither in the nefesh, and you're right. And once it's once it's smashed into, it makes sense. Once you smash the vows, the smithereens, it's, it's smashed. You can't reconstitute it. Doesn't matter if it's afflicted or it only affects the marriage. Doesn't matter. The vow is over. It's all the same. But why? Why the distinction? Why does the mission only single out vows that are, that are afflicted? He said there is a distinction. What's the distinction? Nidin and nefesh, vows of affliction, it, he can nullify it both regarding to himself and regarding to others. 
If the husband. Like this. He's making a distinction. Now he's making a different distinction. He's saying that if it's an affliction, then it remains uh, revoked whether the marriage is over and he could take her back, whether the marriage is over and he can't take her back. He can't remarry her. For example, after he divorced her, she remarried someone else. Then he can no longer ever take her back. It doesn't matter, the vow remains revoked. But if it's a question, if it's a vow that affects the marriage, the relationship. So when she, he could take, as long as he could take her back, then the vow remains, the, the nullification, the revoking, the revocation remains in effect. And that explains the Mishnah later on, Rabbi Yechon Benuri, that he's saying that he should revoke. If she says, she makes a vow that affects the relationship, says, my hands, he can't benefit from my hands, of course it doesn't apply because it doesn't belong to her. But then when he, he divorces her, it does apply, so he, he, he revokes the vow, and the revocation helps, because even though they're no longer married, but he could take her back potential of taking her back. When the Torah says only between husband and wife, meaning only as long as there's a relationship, the Torah is coming to exclude is if she remarries someone else. If she remarries someone else and then it's no longer an option for the original husband to take her back, then the vow kicks in. And the, the revocation no longer works. An original vow takes in because it's, it's, yes, my handiwork is forbidden to you. You don't have the benefit of my hand. You don't even have the potential of being my husband again. You can never ever be my husband again. So then it was only smashed up, up until the point where you can no longer, you can no longer be, when, once you become a cheirin, once you become like uh, someone, a stranger, you know, once it becomes la cheirin, once I, I reach a point where I married someone else, yeah, puts a new spin. But but if it had, but if it's a vow, that's what the Mishnah says. But if it's a vow, which is affliction, then it doesn't matter. It's forever, she's free of the vow, even if she divorce, if he divorces her, and even if she remarries someone else, he can no longer take it back. It doesn't matter. The vow is completely nullified. It's only the vows between husband and wife that that you have this caveat. It's only smashed as long as there's a relationship, as long as there's a potential for, again, to have a relationship. He can remarry her. Once he marries someone else, then he can no longer, then the vow no longer applies. It's only no affliction. It's only between husband and wife. In regards to others, he doesn't revoke them. Because once she's married to the other person, then the vow the vow kicks in. Versus in the nefesh, even even when she's married to other people, the vow the vow remains um, remains revoked. This is what the Mishnah means. Vows that affliction, then even. When she has a connection to him, and even when she no longer has a connection to him, she's married to someone else, she can, can no, no longer ever have a connection to him, the vow remains revoked. Okay, so we'll stop over here. Mishnah, the Gemara will explain Mishnah. I want to